Can we give a hand for, to Pastor Denise? Um, she's amazing on so many way, in so many ways, and every Sunday when she communicates the announcements, I'm like, I couldn't do that that way if my life depended on it. And so um, I don't know how she retains and communicates. It's amazing. We're going to dive right into scripture. If you're joining us for the first time or it's been a while, um, we've been in a sermon series uh, titled Life As It Should Be. And we've been looking at a really important passage in the New Testament known as the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you haven't been here uh, or haven't logged in for a bit, I encourage you to go to a website because this series has been really rich, uh, in particular in that we had the real great privilege of having some of our uh, leaders in the church preach alongside and just really dynamic messages uh, that they preach. It was just such an amazing time. Today is actually the last Sunday, the last sermon in this series. And so it's bittersweet because... This text, um, for me, has come alive in so many ways. The privilege of being able to enmesh ourselves in the words of Jesus and park here and let him speak to us has been powerfully transforming for me. Um, and so I'm, it's so hard to say goodbye, as they say. Um, next week, we begin a brand new sermon series I'm excited about. But today, let's close out this series, Life As It Should Be. Sermon on the Mount, we're continuing Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 29. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for the incredible gift that it is to worship you, to be in community with your people, to open the scriptures, and to position our hearts to hear from you. God, we want to hear from you. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Reveal Jesus, glorify him. Lord, we thank you for what you want to do in our hearts and our lives. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. This is such an amazing text. Um, let's dive in. If you've been trekking with this sermon series and the text, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, you'll notice that this isn't new in the sense that Jesus is offering us two paths, two options, two things to consider. In fact, last week we looked at there are two gates, two paths. One is narrow, one is broad, one leads to life, one leads to destruction. Talked about two righteousness, that uh, the righteousness of the Pharisees and that we are to exceed that righteousness. And he's continuing that 
theme again for us. And remember, we talked about that at this moment in the Sermon on the Mount, this is a moment where Jesus is painting a picture for what it looks like to apply everything he's talked to us up until this point. And so the imagery, the, the analogies, everything that he's describing, it's all intended to give us a picture, a sense of what it looks like for us to hear the words of Jesus that he's been teaching us up until this moment, to internalize them, reflect them, obey them. He's giving us a picture, a reality, a description of what that's like in this section of scripture. And I want us to notice something from the very outset, as Jesus is landing the plane of this series of talks and moments with his disciples, he says something about the people that are obedient. Hear this. He's talking to people who are, he's saying, if you hear my words and obey them, I'm going to describe what your life is going to be like. And he describes it in a very shocking way says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So far, so good, right? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall. This is a very strange way to communicate motivation to obey him, isn't it? says, if you obey me, this is what your life is going to be like. You're going to experience storms, violent winds. They're going to, it says, they beat on the house. And so he's describing not the most pleasant circumstance. And, and this is one of the things that the, the older I get, the more I appreciate this aspect of how Jesus relates to us in that Jesus is not some slick salesperson. He doesn't have some angle. I don't know, uh, maybe it's just living in New York my whole life. There's always that like, in the back of my mind, I meet someone, hi, this is pleasant. In the back of my mind, it's like, what's your angle? You know, is it like, because it, it, you're, you're just so used to in New York, somebody's always selling you something. Um, but it's not just New York. Actually, if you notice, you ever peep those commercials that are advertising like a, a drug or something? And those commercials always crack me up. And so they begin and say, this will help you, right? You're in pain, you need help, and this is going to help you. And then at the very end, they go through at lightning speed. It's like, may cause blindness, may cause your arm to fall off. It was like, and, and so it's like they wait at the end. They give you the fine print, the reality at the end. Yet Jesus, from the outset, he says, obey me. And in obeying me, this is what your life is going to have or consist of. You're going to have a life that will have storms and suffering, temptations, setbacks. You're going to have a life that's going to have bad doctor's reports, rejection, relationships that are difficult, disappointments. Obey me, but life is going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. Obeying Jesus, he's framing it, will not lead to a life of peace. And, and in terms of peace, of the absence of no struggle, the absence of stress and difficulty. 
Why that's noteworthy is because even last week we talked about from the passage we looked at, Jesus mentions that there's these false teachers. And these false teachers tell us, go on the broad road that's easy and, and that's just nice and not challenging. But he says that road will lead to death. And so he describes that there's people that will seduce us and will, will pitch to us a way of living that is not lining up with how Jesus describes. And I regret to say it, I wish it wasn't the case, but the truth is that there are Bible teaching preachers that falsely tell us that if we follow Jesus, if we obey him, that it's gonna lead to a life of health, wealth, power, success, free of struggle, and your life is always gonna trend up and to the right. Jesus says, obey me. Follow me, and as you obey me and follow me, there's going to be storms, trials, temptations. And I think for some of us, this might be a good refresher to hear directly from Jesus because some of us are going through difficult things and our default in our religious mindset is to think, I know why I'm going through this because I haven't been obedient. Because, man, I, I said I was going to, this was a new year, new me. I said I was going to read the Bible this year. Didn't make it through Leviticus. And, and now I'm struggling. And I said I was going to be, you know, the pandemic is, is, is over. You know, I'm going to be in church uh, regularly. And, man, I don't even know a tenth of the people in this room. You know, I haven't been here for a while. Um, you know, Pastor Chris still looks good. But anyway, um, you know, like, it, you, it, we're, you, you might have some regrets some struggles, and you look at your obedience as, or the lack thereof, as the cause of the storm. And this is where Jesus does not fit that religious mold, that religious mindset, because religion will tell you your obedience results in God favoring you. So God treats you better the more you obey. And the Christian faith says the complete opposite. It says, whether you obey or not, God's love toward us is constant. It's never contingent or dependent on our obedience. Isn't that good news? God loves the person who's struggling in this room the same as the person who feels victorious. But it doesn't just stop there. Because actually Jesus... Not only does he clear up and say, your obedience is not going to lead to a life free of problems and stress. That's not how this works. Your obedience doesn't make me love you more or treat you better. But he does say something about obedience and disobedience that we need to pay attention to. He says that there are two kinds of people that hear his words and have two different results. One kind hears his words and obeys them. One kind hear the words of Jesus and don't obey them. I want to talk about the kind of person that hears the words of Jesus and doesn't obey them for a moment. Because if you're familiar with other parts of Scripture, you'll immediately re remember and realize this is not a new theme. Actually, God in multiple points at his word, he describes this experience of 
his people hearing his word and not obeying it. In fact, in the New Testament, in the epistle of James, we see a really powerful description of how this works. James says, James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25, he says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so James describes this phenomenon that exists in other parts of Scripture that Jesus is alluding to as well, is that a tendency of us hearing God's word and then forgetting it. It goes out of memory. So it's an interesting way of describing disobedience. Disobedience essentially is a form of not remembering. It's, a, it's, it's forgetfulness. It's, it's kind of a spiritual amnesia where you, you heard something and then we walk away as if we didn't hear it. How many have ever had this experience? Unfortunately, I wish this was not a common occurrence. It happens a lot in the Hernandez household, um, which is uh, I'm managing a bunch of different calendars that are all work-related, and my wife is managing the home calendar, the kids, and life on that front, doctor's appointments and school meetings or whatever. And um, this happens way more than it should. Uh, she'll say, hey, um, remember, we have that thing on Saturday. I told you about this. You wrote it down. Remember, I saw you write it down. It's in, and I'll say, no, 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 it's not true. No, you, I didn't remember you saying that. No, I've told you, no, don't, no more verbal stuff. Write, write it down. Put it, it need, put it in the calendar yourself. Here's my phone. Put it in. I can't do this. It's in the calendar. No, it's not. I committed to this. It wasn't in the calendar. Look, Chris, it wasn't. It. Oh, crap. It was in the calendar. <laughs> and so now I'm like, ah, oh, I'm sorry. Please don't, don't stop loving me. You know, like, it just, it just happens a lot. And it's a frustrating experience. But you know what happens because I want that to not happen, there are certain things that my wife knows the possibility. She's like, Chris, this thing, put it in your calendar. Okay. No, 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 no. Do it right now. Don't, don't, don't go. Don't. Let me see you do it. Okay. I did it. Look. And she'll call me like an hour later. Could you check again? Make sure it's saved. And now the lead up to it, like a reminder, like, hey, remember that thing. I know it's a month ago, a month from now, it's fine. No, 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 remember, remember. And I've noticed with certain things, the experience is different in that somebody will say, hey, Chris, you want to go to that thing on this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to go. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't. I, I got to go there. I, I can't. I'm already committed. And then something else will come up. And, and inevitably, it's something that, like, I really want to do, you know? And so it's like, hey, you want to go check this out or go hear this speaker? Or, or yeah, oh, no, I can't because this is there. And what I'm describing is the difference of remembering what you've already committed to, 
what you already said yes, and the continuous remembering of that keeps you committed to that versus the experience of forgetting. And so James says, you and I should hear God's word, look at God's word, and essentially commit it to memory in such a way that when other things try to get us to say yes, we keep saying, oh, no, no, I can't. I've already committed to this. I've already said yes to this. It's, it's there. It's, it's cemented. This is what I'm going to commit to. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. We end up saying yes to things that we shouldn't be, be say yes to because we should recognize we already said yes to Jesus. But we forget. James says there's a forgetful kind of hearing. And he actually says what happens is you forget your identity. You look at the word, you hear the word, you walk away. He says you forget what you look like. And so disobedience is not just an act, a decision, it actually is a forgetting of your identity. When you and I disobey, what we're doing is we are forgetting who we are. We are forgetting whose we are, that we belong to God, that we've been redeemed. And so Jesus is, is speaking to us about this forgetful kind of hearing of his word, of not applying it. James doubles down on that, but what's interesting is when you put these two descriptions side by side, even though they have different results, and we'll get to that, on one level, there's an incredible commonality. Notice, the person who hears the word of Jesus and obeys them, Jesus says, rains will fall, floods will come, winds will blow. But then he says to the person who hears the words of Jesus and does not obey them, Look at what he says about them. Rains will fall, floods will come, winds will blow. I remember in October of 2012, um, an unforgettable experience. Um, it was Hurricane Sandy. If you remember, if you were in New York during that time, it was a really wild couple of weeks. Um, now, it, we live in a beach community, my family and I, we live in the Rockaways, and so it's right by the Atlantic Ocean. Um, the year before, uh, when you live in a beach community, you remember storms. You're like, you remember their names, you remember details, because you experience them differently. The year before, how many remember the name of the storm that was supposed to like hit New York? Boom, Irene, yes. Irene was incredibly pleasant. Irene was just a beautiful, beautiful soul. Irene did nothing to New York, just like watered grass, it was nothing. And so, uh, so there was all this dust up, nothing came. Now Sandy is coming, and the folks in my neighborhood didn't take it serious, a lot of them. So they were like, hey, you should evacuate, you should leave. People were having Hurricane Sandy parties, you know, like, ah, oh, yeah, it's gonna come. And then they were all in for it because it was the size of Europe. Imagine a storm that magnitude where the Atlantic Ocean and the bay met. And it was staggering. You know, prior to Sandy, if you went to the Rockaways, you would have been really impressed with 
the safety measures that have been built by the city to keep the Atlantic Ocean from coming on land. It was a cinder block wall, one layer of cinder block. That's what was built to keep the water from coming. If you come now, there's a massive dune. The Army Corps of Engineers built this. There's a, uh, like a thick concrete wall with big sandbags. So imagine, there, there was no way this storm was going to be held back. Just one little wall of cinder block. I'll never forget coming over the bridge after the storm hit, and it looked and felt like what I've seen on TV for war zones. Just devastation everywhere. Um, people's stairs were ripped off, houses, there was entire blocks that got burnt down to a crisp, to the studs, because fire trucks couldn't come. Um, it, it was just mayhem. But I'll never forget, in those first few moments, where it didn't matter who was rich, who was poor, who was white, who was black, who was Asian, who was Latino, didn't, nothing mattered. Who was educated, who wasn't. We were all experiencing the same thing. And it's interesting that Jesus describes both the obedient hearer and the disobedient hearer in striking similarity. Both of them experience storms. Both of them experience violent rains. Both of them have the elements beat up against their house. And that's an interesting thing for us to never forget as people of faith, that our faith doesn't make us fundamentally different than people that don't believe in Jesus in terms of our experience. We all experience suffering. We all experience setback. We all experience disappointment. Our faith is not a security blanket against the realities of life. And so you cry, I cry. You go through disappointments, I go through disappointments. But you believe in Jesus, and I don't. Shouldn't your life be fundamentally different in this space? Not according to Jesus. But there is one difference that we would be remiss to ignore. Because though Jesus says both hearers, the, the obedient one and the disobedient one, uh, experience the same things, but there's one big difference. He said, the one who obeys builds his house on the rock, and when the storms come, that house will remain. And so what Jesus is clarifying for us is that obedience to him will not lead to a life of endless picnics and peaceful days and no struggle, no setbacks, but it will empower us to endure things like nothing else can. And here's something that you and I need to grab hold of and believe that Jesus promises obedience to him will cause your life to have buoyancy, to somehow, despite what's coming at your way, you're hopeful. You've gone through the worst of the worst and still there's joy in you. That doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. Other thought systems, other faith systems, in my experience, and I say this respectfully, I've never seen anything or anyone cause someone to endure suffering the way I've seen faith in Jesus. Empower people to go through the worst of life with dignity and joy. 
Jesus says, obeying me won't shield you from the storm, but it will empower you to endure it. There'll be hope. There'll be joy despite the circumstances. You'll still be here. Have you ever had these moments in your life where you're just like, I don't know how I'm still sane right now. I don't know how I'm still functioning. I, I, I seem to be I still treating people kindly. How is that coming out of me given what I'm going through? And the only explanation for us is our faith in Jesus, our trust in him, our obedience. Jesus is painting this picture of obedience in the presence of suffering. It's one thing to obey when circumstances are nice. Anybody could do that. It's another thing to obey when circumstances are awful. And Jesus says that he'll empower us to obey even in the midst of suffering. And so following Jesus is not a promise to get rich, to experience increasing comfort, find pleasure, but following Jesus does have the promise that you will be able to endure suffering. If you're suffering right now, Jesus' promise is not that you will never experience that. His promise is that you will always endure it that he'll pull you through. What are you enduring right now? Name it, think about it, capture it. Don't deny it. That thing Jesus is saying, obey me and I'm gonna see you through that. When, that, when all the dust settles, your house will still be standing if you obey me. That's his promise. He's not promising skies with no thunder and rain. He is promising that when the storm comes and when it goes, you will somehow be on the other side enduring it, praising him, trusting him. And so Jesus is in fact inviting us to a very different life than often we think he's inviting us to. A life that says, I'll help you endure. You'll stand when all is said and done. But I want you to notice something in this text that I think is quite important for us to not gloss over. Verse 28 to 29, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So I want you to picture this moment. Jesus has been talking to his disciples on this mountainside um, for quite a bit, and he's helping them journey through all this, this teaching and understanding how to apply the word of God and giving the, 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 the nuanced understanding of scripture that they thought they understood. And he actually, no, this is how you apply it from the heart. He's walking through, and he's finally ended. And it says at that moment, the experience of the crowd, it says they were astonished. They're awestruck. And in this state of being awestruck, 
they noticed something. They said, he teaches as one with authority, not as a scribe. It's a very interesting observation. Obedience is hard, especially in the presence of suffering and storms and struggle. But I think it's hard for us in our day and age for some other reasons. And I think one of the reasons why obeying Jesus is hard is because from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, we live in a world that is constantly trying to reinforce our preferences. That right now, you didn't know this, but you are studied quite extensively. There's so much data on both of us where they've studied our preferences, our likes, what we read, what we don't, how much time we're looking at things. There's so, there's such a long file about us in order to then customize advertisements uh, this is not accidental. Notice how it feels when you get an ad that doesn't make sense, right? Like, wait, where's this coming from? And then what do you immediately think? Did I like something? Did I do? This is off. Why? Because we're so used to our preferences being reinforced, the algorithm constantly feeding. This is what you want. This is what you were going to do. We're just going to lightly prod you along the way. And then here comes Jesus, and he doesn't play that game. Here comes Jesus, and he's not coming and saying, hey, I knew you were already predisposed to hate that person because they vote differently than you, and you know what? I affirm that. Yeah, I don't like them either. That's not what he's doing. <laughs> like, hey, I know you were already going to give in to those selfish desires and that vengeful spirit, and you know what? Yeah, peace is later. No, fight now. Yeah, that's right. Don't let go of that grudge. You're right. They're wrong. It, we, he does not come and confirm our preferences. He challenges them. He, he shouts into our souls to love when we don't want to, to forgive, to serve. When we want to isolate and disconnect, he says, you need community. When we want to distract ourselves and numb and stream till we doze off, he says, listen, read my word. When we want to consume and spend and live for the moment and not, not be disciplined and not plan, he says, hey, that, remember, that money is mine. I'm just letting you manage it. He doesn't confirm our preferences. He pushes against them. And so obedience, as Jesus is describing, it's hard because it's hard to obey when we're suffering, but it's also hard to obey when we have been constantly formed in this pattern of you only do what you are comfortable doing. And that's it. But I think the other reason why it's hard, and it's connected to this idea that Jesus doesn't teach like a scribe, is because I think we sometimes reduce God's word to the same level of a search that we put in Google that brings up facts. We've been preconditioned to make decisions based on facts present themselves, we weigh them, and again, we choose the thing that we prefer. But we, pref we choose it after we weigh these facts. 
You know, a scribe in the ancient world, they were like a court stenographer. They were meticulous. They had like really precise ways of capturing things, preserving it, and making sure that it was maintained so that people could actually read it for centuries to come. But what did they do? They just captured things and make sure that they could, that it could be available for people to weigh those things out, to factor them in. Make sure this informs your decision, that you don't ignore this information. So we're going to preserve it and make sure it's there. And the people noticed and said, Jesus, the way he's teaching us, he's not teaching as if he's presenting these things as facts and say, consider this. Don't ignore this. Make sure this is factored in. He's actually teaching as one with authority. In other words, when he says these things, there is a sense that he expects us to do them. To not just listen to them. To not just weigh them out. And to not choose or not choose based on our preferences. He's speaking to us with the expectation that you and I will bow the knee to his words and obey them. He's teaching with authority. And I ask us, again, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon directed at, at disciples, at followers of Jesus. And so if you're in this room, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're kind of sitting in at a moment where us as followers of Jesus are talking to each other and hearing what Jesus is saying. And I hope you hear this moment and it brings some sobriety, some encouragement, some curiosity to hear that Jesus, when he's talking to us, he expects us to follow through with what he says. And so, in other words, when you see a follower of Jesus live hypocritically, it does not diminish the beauty of Jesus, the truthfulness of Jesus. It reveals the weakness of his followers, the inconsistencies, the forgetful hearing of his followers. It reveals that potentially his followers at that moment heard him speak and said, that's nice information. I'm going to consider that. And if it's convenient and comfortable, I'll say yes to that. Versus what he just said stops us in our tracks. And we can't act and live as if we didn't hear that. We feel the weight of his words. He speaks as one with authority. Notice the crowd, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. Astonished. I was actually in the city the other day on a Saturday. Um, I try to avoid the city on a Saturday with all my life, breath, soul, and strength. Um, Saturdays, I try to keep it as light as possible because uh, Sunday's a big day. Um, but I was in the city this Saturday, and it was, it was amazing. People were just, the city was full. Um, I was actually telling, the, I, was, uh, I had to take an Uber from one destination to another, and, and the driver was like, look, don't people kind of look happy right now? I was like, it's pretty cool. Gonna, on Monday, they're going to look different. And anyway, and so... <laughs> Going through the city, and, um, and I had to go through Times Square, and I noticed 
Wow. So you heard that? It was like, oh, God. Um, I haven't been there in a while. And I saw this gentleman. He looked like a tourist in terms of he had all the trappings of a tourist. He had a big camera, and, and he was just, he comes out of the, the train station, and he's like, <laughs> amazed, amazed. And at that moment, I was just making all these assumptions of like, oh, man, he probably came from a small town. <laughs> he didn't know people could build things this high. It's <laughs> astonished. But he was so mesmerized that my man went like this into the street. And all of a sudden, this, this cab was like, <laughs> he got startled, come to the sidewalk, and then he did it again. No joke. And thankfully, one of his family members was like, get over here, and they pulled him out. The man was absolutely astonished amazed. And at that moment, I noticed something about what happens to us when we're astonished. When something captures your heart, it drives your actions. It moves you. Almost kind of a life of its own. I think it's important for us when we look at this text and we think about if Jesus is expecting us to obey his words, the difference in trying to obey from a place of awe and reverence versus obeying from a mechanical, dry, lifeless place, they could not be more different. If you and I think that we're going to obey the words of Jesus just because we appeal to their reasonableness or the beauty of their logic, and think that it's possible to obey without our hearts being arrested by his grace, then we're wrong. You won't be able to obey, I won't be able to obey apart from a sense of awe and reverence and astonishment. If the grace of Jesus isn't perpetually arresting us and humbling us and leveling us and lifting us up and building us up, Obedience won't be the, the, the byproduct of our life. We will hear and not obey, but a person who is astonished by Jesus, he has them. They can't help but obey. Obedience kind of flows out of them almost in an involuntary way. Just, their heart is struck. They're in awe. And so obedience follows. If right now, if your spiritual condition, as you weigh what Jesus is saying, is saying, I think I fit more of the description of someone who hears his words and doesn't obey them, the first thing I would encourage you to check is, does Jesus still astonish you? Does he still grip you? Does his presence still call you? Does he still amaze you? That's the first thing I check when I'm feeling tempted, when I'm doubting, when I'm struggling, when I, when I go into that space of that where I'm like, oh, I have to do this versus I get to do this. I, I look and say, where is your sense of awe, astonishment, amazement? That's typically the first thing to go. But if you're in a place of growing obedience, it's because there's growing reverence. There's growing wonder.
this growing amazement. As we close, as the worship team comes forward, I want to draw your attention to one last thing in this text. Jesus says that the house, the life that endures through the storms, the difference is that that house is built on a rock and the other house is built on sand. Have you ever tried to build sand castles in the beach? It's a very futile experience. It just won't last, it crumbles. But if you've ever like, like entered into a house that you, like you could feel it, this house was built right. You know the difference because if you've been to houses that are like, this house was not built right. We should, we should all get out of here right now. Um, just me is exceeding the legal occupancy. And, and we have five of us. Let's go. You know the difference between a house that feels built firm and sturdy that will last versus something that, man, you question its durability. The difference is the one that endures is built on a rock. That is not just loose imagery, not random speech. Jesus chooses that imagery on purpose because if you're not familiar in other passages of scripture, Jesus is referred to as the rock of our salvation. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. And what I want to leave us with is this truth. That yes, Jesus is calling us to obey. But our lives endure not because of our obedience. Our lives endure because of his obedience. We obey in response to his obedience. His perfect obedience on our behalf, his sinless life, his atoning sacrifice, he obeyed on our behalf. And because of that rock, that firm, immovable truth, now when you and I obey, we build our lives on his sacrifice, on what he has done eternally for us. And that allows us to endure. When the storms come, knowing God's love is not changing, it's a rock. When the storms come, remembering his perfect obedience is what I build my life on. When the storms come, I obey in response to his obedience. We'll find ourselves enduring. Could I invite us to stand as the worship team leads us in these next few moments? If you feel comfortable doing so, could I invite us to just raise our hands in the presence of God in this posture of surrender to receive. And over these next few moments, the prayer team is in the back. At any given moment, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer If any of the words that were shared or anything you need prayer for. But in these next few moments, let's turn our hearts to God. Let's worship, let's respond to him.